0: And we'll get started in today's message. If you don't have a Bible, uh, pull out your Bible or pull out your phone Bible app, uh, whatever it may be, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Let me pray, Heavenly Father God. Once again, we are grateful for just allowing, giving us the opportunity uh, to to worship you. As the songwriter says, "As long as you lend us breath." Um, We wanna praise you and we want to acknowledge that you are our God, you are our King. That you have rescued us, uh, not just from sin, not just from hell, you've rescued us from even ourselves and our own brokenness. And you've set us aside to be sons and daughters of citizens of your kingdom. And God, would your word just form our minds and would your word just, form our hearts and our actions and our thoughts we pray these things in your son's name amen well like many of you uh this week my heart was broken as i witnessed on my screen and on tv uh, the chaos that descended on our nation's capital Uh, encouraged by our president men and women carrying flags not of the united states but flags of their own particular interest, whether it's Trump or rebellion or MAGA. There's one especially discouraging picture. Uh, There's a flag bearing the name of Jesus 2020. And I do not believe our Lord Jesus Christ would have been very pleased with these events, uh, nor the way his name was used. There's blatant disregard for law enforcement officers, destruction of public property, disregard for personal property and a whole host of other laws that were broken, which ultimately resulted in the death of five individuals, one being a police officer. And I read one man's flag as he was marching onto the Capitol that quoted, the quote was, when tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty right? And by the way, this is misattributed to one of the founding fathers. None of the founding fathers spoke those words specifically, but in his mind, this was a singularly most important axiom for him. Once there is tyranny, then he must rebel by violence. Now, I know our church holds many different political views. I know that I don't agree with some of you, and some of you don't, uh, you don't agree with me. Some of us may be ardent Trump supporters, And while others are counting down the day until he is out of office and out of our minds. Now, this message won't address the political mess that we find ourselves in uh, much more than what you've heard. But it does bring to mind a much more important and personal question. And that is, what is the guiding rule for you? What is the guiding principle for you? What is the law or the rule that can never be violated, or to put it in terms of biblical language, what is the greatest commandment to you, right? For this man, what he viewed as tyranny, an election that didn't go his way, or an election in his mind that was was, uh, stolen or committed fraudulently, or there's an incoming administration that he disagrees with, then the law that he must follow is rebellion, or in his case, rioting at the state capitol question I have for us is, what is your guiding principle? What is the rule, the law, the greatest commandment for you? Well, one day Jesus is asked this very same question. One of them, a lawyer, uh, a scribe, uh, comes up to him and questions him and tests him. And he says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What is the greatest commandment in the law? And in essence, what this man was asking him He was saying, Jesus, if you could summarize all of the Old Testament, all of the Ten Commandments, all of the Torah, the prophets, how would you do so? If there is one law that guides you, Jesus, what would it be? Now, most of us, we have heard of the Ten Commandments, right? Don't murder, don't steal, all that stuff. But within the Old Testament, scholars have counted at least 613 laws and statutes, commands and ordinances, there were 613 rules um, for every obedient Jew to to be faithful to. 248 were, were positive, right? Do this and do that. And 365 were negative, don't do this and don't do that. It sounds like a lot of rules to follow, but really what this man was asking him is, how do you interpret the Torah? How do you interpret Torah? Last week, you may have heard me mention that certain rabbis have certain ways of interpreting and applying scripture. And this would be called the yoke of Torah, right? The yoke of Torah for a particular rabbi was this. And the yoke of Torah for another rabbi would be that. And right before the birth of Jesus Christ, there were two very famous rabbis, and that were more or less diametrically opposed to one another. These two men, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel, divided Jewish thinking into two major branches or two different yokes of Torah. And I know this is a little bit of a history lesson, but it's important because it, it informs how we understand what Jesus says is the greatest commandment. Rabbi Shammai was known to have a very strict interpretation of the law. Every single law had to be kept at all time. Uh, It doesn't matter where you were or how convenient, inconvenient it was, every single law had to be kept at all time. For example, one time his daughter-in-law gave birth to his grandson or her son during the festival of booths, right? Festival of tents. And it's during this tent that every Jew was supposed to construct these little tents or these little booths and live in them to remember as a nation that they wandered in the wilderness. Well, the story goes as his daughter-in-law was giving birth to her son, uh, Rabbi Shammai did not want his newly born grandson to break the laws. So uh, he broke through the roof, he dug through the, the ceiling, Uh, where his grandson was born. He lowered himself down and he covered this brand new infant boy with branches, thus fulfilling the law. It doesn't matter that this boy was just hours old. Uh, Rabbi Shammai was primarily focused on obedience of the law. That was his yoke. Around the same time, a little bit after, there's another rabbi, and his name is Rabbi Hillel. If Rabbi Shammai is seen as a strict uh, interpreter of scripture, literalist, then Hillel was the more liberal, more permissive uh, interpreter application of scripture. There's a story that goes, one day a Gentile, someone who's not a Jew, he comes to Rabbi Shamel, the, the strict interpreter, and he says, teach me the Torah, but do it while you're standing on one foot meaning he wanted Shammai to you know, summarize this. Shammai was so incensed that this guy would, would not take the Torah seriously that he beats him with his staff and the, the Gentile leaves. Now this Gentile, same Gentile, comes to Rabbi Hillel and asks him the same question. Teach me the Torah, but do it while you're standing on one foot. Hillel thought for a while, and this is his words, what is hateful to you do not do to your neighbor, that is the whole Torah, the rest is commentary, go and study it. And so we know that this is an inversion of the golden rule that Jesus would later say. And if Shema Shemai was all about obedience, Hallel was all about the, the well-being of community, of the spirit of the law. And, and, and this man, what he was doing is he's coming up to Jesus and he's asking Jesus, what is your yoke? what is the commandment that you would summarize everything into? Now, I suppose if we could put what uh, controversy was surrounding Shammai and Halal and perhaps even Jesus, if we could put it into today's language, you might say we have the law and the order group, right? They, they want to follow all the laws very strictly. And then you also have the social justice group. They want to uh, care about society and care about the well-being of, of, of each other. And that's putting it very broadly, but I'm just putting it in those phrases because we see it in our politics, right? But the truth is we also see it in the church. We have uh, strict adherence. We might call them legalists, So people say, well, we have to follow every single word in scripture. And then we have those who focus much more on community to the point where uh, the gospel is really just a social gospel. And the context of this man, as he comes up to Jesus, he's saying, Jesus, where do you stand on these issues? What is your yoke of Torah? How do you interpret and apply God's word? And so Jesus responds to him and he says to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the entire law and prophets. On these two commandments hang the law and prophets. And what Jesus does here is absolutely brilliant. He's saying out of 613 laws, out of the 10 commandments, out of the entire Old Testament, the first five books and the prophets, the thread that binds everything together, the thing that, that uh, cannot be uh, forgotten or left out is a love for God and a love for others. And what he's saying is love is a centerpiece of scripture. Love is a guiding rule. For those who want to follow Christ, love is the guiding rule for all Christians. And Jesus, he doesn't fall into the trap of promoting one school of thought over the other. He's not saying obedience, obedience to God's word is more important than loving your neighbors. Nor is he saying disregard God's word to help out your neighbors. He's saying these two go together. They are inseparable, right? Together they make up what God desires. But love is the motivator for obedience. Love is the driving force for communal well-being right? You could have love. I mean, you could have obedience, but if you don't have love, what, it's legalism, right? At the same time, you can care about society. You could, you could care about the welfare of your neighbors, but without a love for God, it really just becomes social welfare. Now, what he is saying is there is another way There is a superior way, a way of love, a way of loving God and loving neighbors, and that's it. The entire law and prophets hang from these two points, right? The entire Old Testament canon for Jesus Christ, for all the Jews during his time, hang on this love God and love your neighbors. It sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Well, Maybe not so fast because there is some good news and there is some bad news. The good news is this is open to anyone, right? You don't need to be a scholar. You don't need to be a seminarian. You don't need to be a lawyer or pastor or priest to love God. You don't need to uh, teach Sunday school or attend Sunday school in order to love God. You don't need to be rich or fancy. It's open to everybody, right? Anybody can love God. It doesn't matter what your background is. We can all love God and we can all love other people. But here's the bad news. The bad news is we don't love God. We don't love God the way that he wants us to. In fact, scripture tells us nobody loved God. When Jesus responds to this lawyer with this command, it would have been very obvious what he was saying, right? He was recalling what is commonly known in Hebrew as the Shema, right? These are the verses that every Jewish person would recite when they wake up and they would recite again when they go to bed. And the Shema comes from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. Uh, And it's called Shema because Shema in Hebrew means to hear. And it begins in verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And what the Shema is teaching is that we are called to love God with our whole being, every part of us. Everything we have, we were created to love God. And when what you see here, right, in this heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not emphasizing or it's not compartmentalizing these different uh, components in a human body. It's not saying, okay, well, there's four components that we need to love God with. It's a way that the Jewish mind would describe our whole being. It's the same as saying, you know, you might say, well, from this person's head to his toe, uh, we're not really talking about his head or his toe, but we're just describing the entirety of his body. The heart, soul, mind, and strength encompasses our entire being. It encompasses our, our affections. It encompasses our efforts. It encompasses even our wealth. Uh, some, might, some might translate, some Hebrew translators would say, uh, the strength could be translated into your wealth, how you spend the money you have. And what Jesus is saying is that we were all created. God designed each and every one of us to love God and to love our neighbors with everything we have, with our entire being. That's how God created us. That's how God designed us. And if we want to fulfill our purpose in design, we need to love God and love our neighbors with every part of our being. You know, during this pandemic, I've got a chance to spend a lot more time with my family. and I know some of you have as well. And, and to be truthful, as difficult as this time has been, I've actually really enjoyed the time together. You know, I don't want to paint an overly rosy picture for all of you because, uh, you know, it has been hard at times, but it's been great seeing my girls uh, play with each other and and love each other. And it's great when they love and respect uh, Sumiko and I as well. And some of our best moments come as we sit around talking or playing board games or playing video games. when, when Sumiko and I had our first child, Kaya, uh, we didn't have a conversation thinking or saying, I hope this kid hates us. I hope this kid only loves us a little bit with a little part of their heart. No, we wanted Kaya and then later on Mika to enter into our family, knowing how much we love them, allowing them to love us, knowing our love for each other and loving uh, their siblings. It's out of this community of love that they respond in love. You see, that's how God created you and me as well. God existed for all eternity in community within the Trinity. He was uh, self-satisfied. He didn't need anything else. But because of his great overflowing love, he created us to welcome us into a relationship with the Triune God. He says, come on in. We were created to experience the love of God. And After experiencing that love of God, we respond in love towards God and then towards each other, right? But let's be honest, as much as I love uh, spending all this time with my family, sometimes it's not great. And the pandemic has also shown me my own sin, right? Sometimes we have periods of time where where the kids are yelling at each other and they're they're hurting each other. There are times when I'm yelling at them and I'm not acting in their best interest, right? Where I'm more focused on my own wants. I just want quiet or I just want peace and I, I just, you know, lose it with them. And the Bible tells us it's because of sin, right? Our love for God has been redirected. We were created to love God, to receive the love of God, and to love God back, and to love others. But because of sin, our love for God has been redirected. It's been turned away from God, and it's actually been turned inward. The Reformers, before the Reformers, who starting with Augustine, uh, coined this phrase, uh, homo incurvitasi, meaning a man churning inward on himself. Uh, Martin Luther picks this up in his commentary in Romans and Karl Barth later after him. But the idea is our love for God that was supposed to receive the love of God and then to give back God love became more focused on ourselves. Here's a painting uh, entitled Narcissist by Caravaggio. It's just, you know, we, we, instead of loving God, we become self-absorbed. We, we, we become self-centered. We become selfish. We don't love God with everything. We don't love God with our mind, soul, strength, heart. We we love ourselves more. We love our careers more. We love our grades more. We love our respectability more. Maybe we love our politics more. Even even our good deeds right? Because we're just only focused on ourselves and how great we are. How many times have you heard the phrase, as long as I do more good than bad, God will welcome me into heaven, right? That's an impact of incurvitas. We think that we can save ourselves even because we think we're that great. It's just not, it's not just outside the church, it's inside the church too, right? The legalist within the church, the legalist within my heart, we're trying to work our way into God's approval. We're trying to work our way into God's favor. We do this by, by saying, well, listen, I, I've given to church. I, I've memorized scripture. I, I'm keeping scripture. I'm drawing boundaries around scripture. So I won't accidentally sin all with the hopes that somehow, somehow this will please God. But Jesus tells us that's not what matters because without love, it's just legalism. And this incurvitas and the sin cuts the other way uh, as well. And some people will say, well, hey, I'm forgiven, so let me sin even more. All right? Paul says that's ridiculous. That, that's crazy talk. Uh, licentiousness or license to sin doesn't draw us closer to God. It just reveals how broken we are. It just reveals that we love ourselves and we love our pleasures and we love our desires more than we love God. And it's, it's just out in the open. Sin also impacts how we love others too. Do you guys remember, it seems like an eternity ago when this pandemic first happened, we saw pictures of people hoarding toilet paper or hoarding hand sanitizers. I remember a guy with garage filled with hand sanitizers. Why, right? It's not because they go bathroom a lot. It's not because they need to wash their hands a lot. It's because it's all about the individual. It's all about me. I read recently uh, some individuals, now that we have this vaccine, some individuals are looking for ways to skip ahead and, and get the vaccine early. And so they're, they're saying, how much can I pay to get it? They, look, I get it. The virus is scary, right? A ton of people have been impacted by it. A ton of people have died from it. I know families were, were stolen the opportunity uh, to properly grieve and mourn. I, I get it, right? But when we try to pay our way to the front of the line It's revealing something in our hearts. It's revealing something about me. It's revealing this inward curvatures and curvitas. And the political mess that we see, this chaos, this division, the vitriol, the hate, it's not just the politics, right? The the racism or social injustice, false accusations, all that we see around us, it's a result of sin in the world, of a love that's supposed to be directed towards God, but now it's fixed on my own desires, my own self, my own views, my own needs. See, we were created to love God with our entire being, but sin has distorted our hearts, so that we can't and we don't love God with our entire beings. And that's the problem with everything we see around us today. All of the chaos that we saw this week and that we've seen for years past, sin has caused our hearts to turn away from God, to grow cold towards God's affection, to become like rocks, rock hard towards God and God's word. So so what are we to do? Right, that's where the gospel comes in. That's where you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we hold the keys to salvation, to bringing God's kingdom in heaven here on earth. The only way we are able to do what we are created to do is for God to come in and heal our hearts. Because if the problem for humanity, for for you and for me, is that we have a heart that is turned inwards, that is turned away from God, then the only solution. The only solution to that problem is God needs to give us a new heart and a new affection for him. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel, hundreds of years before Christ, he sees the problem and he recognizes the problem and God says, you know, one day. I'm going to give my people a new heart. I'm going to perform open heart surgery. I'm going to put a heart of flesh within them. I'm going to remove that heart of stone and I'm going to put my spirit within them, right? And God does this through Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, in his death and in his resurrection, in his power to forgive our sins, this this, uh, desire to only care about us, In his ability to welcome us into the family of God, God gives us a new heart, a new affection for him. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And now finally our hearts can receive the love of God, experience the love of God. Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our new hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you become a Christian, it's through the Holy Spirit that we experience the love of God. We finally are able to see the love of God, the beauty of God. It's through the Holy Spirit that we're able to experience the love of God. And the eyes of our hearts can see how beautiful God is and truly delight in God's love. Imagine if you were blind your whole life. And a doctor says, well, I have a surgery that is able to fix your vision so you can finally see, right? You, you jump on the opportunity and you go, you have the surgery. When you wake up, you're able to see. Imagine how amazing that is. You're looking at your family for the very first time. You're looking at flowers and and trees and suns and all this stuff is coming. You're like, this is wonderful. And that's a bit like what God does for us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says it's like having the eyes of our hearts opened or enlightened, having the veil that that covered our eyes removed. And when we begin experiencing the love of God, we respond by loving God, right? And that's so important. And this this is the order. It's so important that we understand this order because that's how we were designed. In order to do what we were created to do, to love God and to love your neighbor with all of your being, the first order of business is to experience the love of God. John writes this in his uh, epistle. We love because God loved us first. We love because he first loved us. In order for us to do what we were created to do, to love God and to love others, we need to first experience the love of God ourselves. See, God is inviting you into his community, Into a relationship with him, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father who created you, the Son who rescued you, and the Spirit who pours his love into your heart so that you could know how beautiful God is. And over this year, we're going to unpack this even more. What does it mean to love God? And what does it mean to love our neighbors? But when we do this, we need to first experience the love of God. We need to place our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. And then God gives us a new heart. And then God directs that new heart towards him, the source of all love. Because without love, Paul writes, we're just loud noise. We're going through the motion of the action of of thinking we're caring for people, thinking we're loving God, but we're not. Without experiencing the love of God, it's all noise. And if you are here and you don't know the love of God and you've never experienced the love of God, and you're watching and you're, you're, you're wondering, what is this all about? Let me invite you in. Because God has already welcomed you. God has already extended his invitation to you. Will you begin a relationship with him? We do this simply by talking with God and saying, hey, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I care about what I want more than what you want. I don't do the very thing that I'm created to do. I don't cr- love you, I don't love others first with all my entire being. So God, I want you to forgive me. I want you to come into my life and I want you to lead me and remind me how deeply you love me. And I want to experience this overwhelming love of God. For some of us, we've already entered into relationship with God. We already are followers of Jesus Christ, but the truth is there's still a battle that is waging war within us. And Paul describes this throughout Romans uh, 7, and he, he talks about this ability. We have We have this ability to love God, but there's this old mindset, or what scripture calls the flesh. It still fights against us. We want to do what we know is right, but we keep on doing what we know is wrong, right? It still wants to be ultimate in our lives. It still tries to curve our heart towards us. We have a choice, Will I do what God wants me to do or will I do what I desire most to have the last word, to let others know that I'm right, to to just take a little jab at someone? And maybe it's the world telling you what is important. It's what culture is saying is important. Listen, you need a good job with high pay, lots of power, lots of authority. Or you, hey, listen, you need to pursue your dreams and who cares the cost? Who cares who you step on? Who cares who you sacrifice? Or you need to keep up with those people. It's this internal battle that is waged all around us. It's waged in here. And our jobs now as lovers of God is to put ourselves in a position where we can see how beautiful and how wonderful God is. It is to experience the love of God, the beauty of God. So how do we do this? Well, if you already are a follower of Christ, I hope you're already doing this, but spend time with God reading his scripture. Not because we have to, not because there's a check mark next to it, but because God is beautiful. And in God's word, he's describing himself. He's saying how much he loves us. He's saying, This is the condition of you. There's nothing lovely about you, but I love you so much so that I'm going to rescue you. We do this by meditating on God's word, by taking God's word and just saying, fill my mind and my heart. We do this by listening to God and speaking with God through prayer, taking time to enjoy and delight in God, right? That's one way that we delight in God. That's one way that we enjoy God is just to spend time with him. We also do it by stepping out in faith, whether that means Uh, Loving, uh, caring for our neighbors or giving generously or or forgiving someone that that has really hurt us, but we know God wants us to forgive them and love them. And when we step out in faith, we we begin to see God at work in our lives and we see God change my heart and God change their heart. And we see God's faithfulness uh, towards us, whatever that means, stepping out in faith. Maybe it means caring for those who are homeless. I've been just so encouraged by our Young Adult Fellowship, and specifically uh, Susanna, who came up with this idea of of making blankets and, and just handing it out because she loves God so much. She wants to see God honored wherever and with whoever she encounters. She steps out in faith and encourage other people within the young adult group to to do this. And it's grown to, to be with more individuals, more families, and seeing God's faithfulness in providing for her. We do it by bringing our concerns and our needs and our hurts and seeing God answer those. And finally, finally, we do it by loving our neighbors when we practice loving our neighbors, when we speak with love, when we listen with love, when we care with love, not because we have to, not because, you know, Pastor Dean says, you have to do this, but because you have experienced the love of God first, you have been cared for, and you have been um, forgiven, you've been welcomed in, looking for ways that we can bless our neighbors, whether that's physical needs or, or practical needs or, or spiritual needs. So friends, over the course of this year, we will be unpacking more what it means to love God and what it means to love our neighbors. That's the theme for us this year. And I know right now it's such a weird time for us as most of us are still just sheltering in place. We're not going out. Uh, but you know, whatever God is putting on your heart, let me encourage you. Take steps of faith, right? And let other people know this is what God's been putting on my heart to, in loving him and, and loving my neighbors, right? Stay tuned, stay engaged, put, put into practice ways that, that you might love God and, and love your neighbors. Maybe one thing that you can do even this week as we put all these things into practice is do this old Jewish uh, practice of reciting the Shema daily, right? We, we don't have to. It's not, there's no check mark there, but when we wake up, make this your prayer. God, help me love you with all of my heart, soul, strength, and mind. God, give me opportunities to love my neighbor as myself. And when you go to bed, say, God, thank you for letting me love you as best as I could, as hard as I tried. Thank you for loving me first and loving others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, once again, that your word, your word speaks into our lives, speaks into our hearts, speaks into our communities and our nation. We know that apart from you, there is no hope. There is no hope for healing, for reconciliation, but ultimately there is no hope for salvation apart from you and your word. God, for our church, I pray that you would allow us to experience your love in new and profound ways this week. I pray that as your spirit continues to pour your love into our hearts, that we would have the eyes of our heart open and just see how beautiful you are. I know for many of us, we struggle with loving you. We want to love you, but it's more out of rote, or it's more out of repetition, or it's more out of... God, would you cause our hearts to continue to be soft towards you. Allow our eyes to see how beautiful you are. Might we delight in who you are and love you back because you are the ultimate beauty. And love others because you have loved us first. We thank you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.